1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this and build hope. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is a Canadian company and they're the company that you want to use for your domain. If you have a great idea and you need a domain, if you already have a domain and you'd rather have it registered with a good company that makes this easy and quick, then use Hover.com and use the offer code Canada Land at checkout. You'll get 10% off. Erica Lenti, deputy editor for the website Torontoist. Hello. We are going to talk today about the shooting in Orlando, and we're going to talk about the National Magazine Awards.
0: Yay! <laughs>
1: for which you were nominated. I was. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts.
0: Thanks for having me, Jesse.
1: This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Michael Sheridan. Alistair Schreiber, Adam Scriven, Brian Lalonde, Carolyn Anger, Jamie Furtner, Andrew Krajada, and Jesse Joyce. Jesse, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I like the show and I've decided to support it. That's pretty much my reason. This episode is also brought to you by Camp Tech. Camp Tech provides workshops for grown-ups who want to learn how to do computers better. So what we're talking about here are half day or full day digital skill workshops where you can learn practical stuff that you can use, things like Google Analytics, online retail Photoshop, and now, podcasting. So you can go to Camp Tech, or increasingly, Camp Tech will come to you. I asked Camp Tech founder Avery Swartz what that's all about. Small, medium, even large size organizations, they wanna bring training in-house so that they can enable their marketing department to do Even more with social media marketing, uh, digital marketing, content marketing. People, there are a lot of ways to learn about how to do stuff on computers. You can just look at a YouTube video if that's what you want to do. But if you really want to learn this stuff intensively and you don't want to take like a 14-week night course, check out Camp Tech. Their courses start at just $85. You go to a cool location and you learn with people who are really interesting and working in creative fields and starting interesting businesses. Go to camptech.ca for more info, check it out now. This episode is also brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is based here in Canada, and they have done a much better job at providing people with domains than the other companies who are just constantly upselling you, who have kind of offensive advertising, frankly, but whose services are a pain in the ass to use. Hover's is not, it's easy to use, it's fluid, and it's fun to use, especially if they can interest you in domains like .pizza, .ninja, and .horse. If you already have a website and you haven't registered to one of those other companies and they are flooding you with spam and trying to sell you services that you don't need, just move it. Move it to hover.com and you will see why we use them before they were a sponsor for this show. And when you do register a new domain or move your domain to Hover, or when you do sign up to have your domain's email handled through Hover, use the promo code CanadaLand when you pay for that because you will get 10% off. Hover.com, promo code CanadaLand, go do it. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit Douglas.ca/Canadaland to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at betterhelp.com slash Canada That's betterhelp.com slash Canada Land. Erica, you wrote about your response to the shooting in Orlando in The Walrus. I did, yeah. Can you just briefly share what you had to say?
0: The piece was mostly about what it's like to be part of the LGBTQ community and to not feel like you have a safe space, uh, no matter where you are. The response to, to the Orlando shooting, for some people, was that this kind of thing wouldn't happen in Canada. You know, America has really lax gun laws. This wouldn't happen here. I think as a queer woman, like, I felt that this was something that could happen to me. Um, I felt threatened on, in many instances, uh, and that's sort of what the piece is about. And In addition to that, sort of adding to the history of it, this is not the first time that... Queer people and trans people have been targeted for being who they are in their safe spaces. You know, historically, this is something that's happened. Um, We're not just talking in the 70s and 80s. We're talking as recent as 2012, 2013. And the same day we saw that there was a gunman heading to L.A. Pride with weapons in his truck who was arrested, thankfully. But this is the kind of thing that happens every day. This is this is not a new phenomenon. And perhaps Orlando is sort of the wake up call for that.
1: It's unfortunate that people, I think, need to put themselves – they need to make it about them to feel like, well, this was an attack against all of us. And I, I mean I feel that. I feel like it's on the one hand just an attack against a free expression of sexuality. It's attack against liberal values. It's attack against the West. I can kind of feel like, well, I have cousins who are – I have like friends, I like people I love. It could have been them. It's still that one step of remove. I don't know what it feels like to have something like this happen and just feel like – Just by some fluke of coincidence, it wasn't me. It could be me tomorrow.
0: I also do feel a certain sense of privilege in that I was able to write about it. However, I know that there were so many queer people of color there. That's something I can't relate to, um, being marginalized in that way, being discriminated because of that. And I surely don't want to speak for them. But just the general experience of being someone who is gay, anyone who is part of this community will understand that feeling. They can relate to that feeling of feeling threatened, being discriminated against, not wanting to hold their partner's hand because they fear that they might get hurt or they might be shouted at, gawked at. It's not a good feeling. I can't imagine what it's like for trans people who have that experience, who it's because of their gender identity. It's not because of who they're with. And sometimes when I'm on my own, I can kind of cover up that I'm gay. But a lot of trans people might not have that experience. It's it's an everyday experience for them. So... Yeah, it's a terrible thing. I was happy to share my feelings. But yeah, it's an awful experience.
1: What did you make of the wider public response to this? And, you know, I feel like there was solidarity of a sort expressed from all corners, but it, it took different shapes. And I'm just kind of curious what your general takeaway is of the, the media response to this.
0: Yeah, I think. The one thing that was really encouraging was that the media sort of created a space for queer people to discuss this and to let them, you know, speak about their own experiences. I was happy to see that there was solidarity. I think that's something that we need. Uh, as I said, this is not a new phenomenon. It's not It's not a new thing to be threatened just for being who you are. So it's great that there was solidarity and it's great that there are a lot of queer voices out there. It's a shame that it took a massacre of 49 people
1: to have queer voices more readily heard in the media though. There's so much to this. I mean, there's the aspect, I guess, of just being reminded that there are people out there who just have hate in their hearts. And that just by being yourself, you become a target, whether you're in a country that has semi-automatic weapons or, you know, no handguns, but just people who can shout things or be violent in other ways. It's still that feeling of being reminded of, of that hate that's out there. Yeah. And then you got people with various perspectives on this expressing shock and outrage, but in different ways that I think have have meanings that are worth digging into a little bit. I mean, Tony Clement, conservative MP, tweeted, horrified by the apparent terrorist attack on Pulse Orlando, Canadians should remain steadfast against this poisonous ideology of jihadism.
0: What really pisses me off about a lot of this, and we saw it on, um, there was a clip that sort of went viral from Sky News, in which, The two anchors refused to sort of address this as an LGBTQ hate crime. Mm -hmm. It was against a bunch of queer people in a gay nightclub on a Latin queer-themed night. We need to... Address that this was what
1: it was. It's interesting because the hosts of that broadcast mm-hmm. were making this kind of larger humanist argument. No, this is an attack against all of us. This is an attack against the West. We're...
0: Except it wasn't, right? So,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or it was, but more specifically, yes. You know, let's say those words, and, and what is the reluctance to, to put it in those terms?
0: Whenever something about LGBTQ culture kind of comes up, straight and cisgender people are always trying to sort of relate and trying trying to say like, well, I understand what that feels like, but you don't you're not part of this community you haven't gone through the things that we've gone through you don't have to second guess you know kissing your partner in public or just going out and being who you are and so trying to make it about you know like I I totally get how you feel when you don't um that pisses me off. And yeah. this speaks to the sort of need for spaces for queer voices, because this is a tragedy against our community and we need to hear from our community. We
1: don't necessarily need another hot
0: take from straight cisgender people.
1: There's, there's so many fragments of this and, and it affects so many people. It's interesting mm-hmm. when people were saying, "Well, this is the worst massacre in American history and people were like a uh, wounded knee. Excuse me. You know, and then the language got shifted. Well, it's the worst mass shooting in American history. Okay. And then, you know, this touches so many different people. You've got Tony Clement here saying that we need to remain steadfast against the the poisonous ideology of jihadism. And a lot of people were upset with his his, uh, language there. And uh, Clement said, I stand by the statement, I refuse to be silenced in my grief by political correctness. This is one of these interesting cases where... I know what he means when he says jihadism. I think he means Islamic extremism. Yes. Jihadism, like the actual definition of that, simply refers to the internal spiritual campaign that one wages with oneself. So you could have like a totally peaceful jihad. You know, he's asserting I'm going to use jihadism to mean violent Islamic extremism and fuck you with your political correctness because we all know what I'm talking about. But you are asserting your definition of like a culturally specific term, a religiously specific term, you know, from from the people who brought you Indians comes jihadism, what we mean, not what you mean. But maybe like you and I could agree on a lot of aspects of this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how instructive that is, but I also didn't want to just like shout at somebody who I I disagree with virulently. I want to talk to some of the responses, talk to some of the people who I think kind of echo what Clement is saying, we need to be tough. And Trump says we need to get smart and tough or we're not going to have a country anymore.
0: I mean, Trump also was all anti-immigration when the gunman was born in America. I don't necessarily think that he knows what he's talking about.
1: (laughs) No, he doesn't. (laughs) For most things. uh, He doesn't. But I feel like when people are tweeting back like, oh, Canada Land's going to go off on something about like, oh, let's be careful about not offending Muslims, you dummies don't you see we're under attack you're threatening our civilization we've got to get smart we've got to get tough all of this violence is coming from one place and like i i hear that and i don't want to just say you're a bunch of bigots mm-hmm. go to hell like i i think that there is a legitimate fear this happened 50 people are dead and i want to have that conversation and i mean mm-hmm. the first like to speak to those practical fears those practical concerns about what can we do about this like is there anybody who just doesn't agree that the low-hanging fruit is no semi-automatic weapons? It, like, yeah. you are absolutely right that this could happen here, and, and it did happen here. And when some nut job became radicalized and decided to get violent about it, he killed one person mm-hmm. here. In the States, it's 50. Here, it's one. So, I mean, like it's so hard to parse this other stuff and the identity politics stuff and the and the racism stuff and the different like all of that stuff and what actually causes people to get radicalized, we should be getting into that, mm-hmm. but before you even get there and it's so divided, how about no more like machine guns
0: absolutely, yeah.
1: It's such an obviousity that I don't even want to get like all frothing at them. Like, like who doesn't feel that way? And I, I've i tried to read some of the Second Amendment stuff and why people feel that way or just technically why legislatively Obama has been unable to affect that agenda and why, like, it doesn't matter what happens. They just can't get anywhere with that. Yeah. It feels like a dangerous stupidity that the chest puffery of a Tony Clement, where we start to hear these same noises of like beating that drum again, like time to get tough. I don't know where that takes us into any kind of a positive direction. It's echoing in in a more muted sense, in a Canadian sense, the same noises that I hear from Trump. I know that Tony Clement would not like that equivalency, but what does he mean we need to remain steadfast against the poisonous? Like Who isn't steadfast against the poisonous ideology of Islamic violent extremism? Who feels soft about that?
0: I mean, the added layer to this as well is that as a Canadian press story, there was reports that the gunman was a closeted gay man potentially
1: and surprise 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 he was
0: sort of you know frequenting the club and was on gay dating sites that just further complicates things i think like queer muslims are already having a hard enough time um in the wake of this i don't think this does them any good either
1: yeah that part of it like if you actually wanted to start to slice and dice demographically, like political correctness be damned, we all know who does this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If you're actually going to have that conversation, we all know who, who does sort of th- this sort of thing. It wouldn't be about targeting Arabs or Muslims necessarily. Uniformly, mass shootings, we're talking about dudes. Mm-hmm. So we can already cut the population in half if we're going to target in surveillance and take rights away. Dudes, it's not women. And they're usually over 14 and like under 40. And if you want to get a little bit more granular about it, they're sexually repressed yeah whether you're talking about like a Dylan roof they they glom onto some ideology that seems extreme and violent and like there's a psychology of that that you would have to start to engage with that I think is almost independent. Islamic fundamentalism is just one flavor that it takes
0: and I mean, we're seeing sort of this focus on the fact that he was Muslim, has it been confirmed that he pledged his allegiance to ISIS?
1: I believe so at this it's point. It's been
0: confirmed. Well,
1: these things get like, you know, echo chambered so many times, but, uh, you know, it's been widely reported that he, mm-hmm. he called 911 and like left that on the machine. And I'm assuming that that was diligently verified and cross-verified. and that that's right.
0: true. I mean, we also see so many white men do the same thing and we see the media blame it on mental illness. And I guess if he did, I mean pledges allegiance to, to ISIS. I mean, so be it. But it's just really interesting to see the dynamics between a Muslim potentially queer person um, and how he's identified and how he's being reported about versus a white person who commits a mass shooting and is victimized in some ways that he has a mental illness and that drove him to do this. Mm-hmm. We we always see these sort of dynamics whenever we're, you know, looking at white versus brown or white versus black and i don't think this is necessarily all that different
1: no and and i mean there's an element of racism where it's you you other it if it's just like i don't want to get into like why this person did it if they're significantly different than i am if they're brown or black they did it because they're part of the enemy if they yep. did it because they're white i like what made him do that why did he feel that way maybe he was crazy But if you can accept it, like the white guys who do this, be it like, you know, I I remember just from Columbine up through Dylan Roof, like they, they also find some weird series of like violent imagery, ideologies, radical, like it's all this kind of the same tones of fascism and sex repression equals death obsession. And from a common sense perspective, we have to understand that this is not like the Al Qaeda terrorist cell where people are like flying to the Middle East training, coming back here, military operations where they're speaking, where there's an organized enemy. They are just finding some YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who like got radicalized. Like there's no evidence I've read yet that he had any communication, any communication with ISIS itself. So how are we fighting ISIS beyond in just some like they're, we're fighting their social media accounts. Erica, I need to read to you from this, uh, this editorial in the National Post by John Iveson, and, and I warn you in advance, I'm going to read a lot of it, and I'm going to go off a bit. Okay. The headline to this John Iveson column reads, Canadians not so eager to weaken our country's anti-terrorism legislation anymore. Oh, huh. okay. So to read to you some some highlights... As we know, you know, the Liberals ran on, on a platform that they were uh, they were vocal about repealing the, quote-unquote, problematic elements of C-51. Yes, we voted for a party that was not going to repeal C-51 but was going to repeal the problematic elements after a widespread public outcry. Iveson writes, in the wake of the carnage in Paris last November and now Orlando, it is fair to say that there is much less enthusiasm to overturn many of its provisions, particularly those that allow the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, CSIS, to disrupt potential terrorist activity. He asserts that it's 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 just fair to say that there's less enthusiasm to hold back C-51 from disrupting potential terrorist activity. Why is it fair to say that? There's not like a poll or a survey. The Canadians now are like, yeah, 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 we can have a lot more security and, and we're not worried about civil rights anymore. He just says it a bunch of times. He says, there does not seem to be an appetite to roll back the substantive parts of the bill that allow CSIS to use loosely defined disruptive measures or attempt to raise the threshold for preventative detention. I don't know if John Iveson has an appetite-o-meter. Like how is he measuring <laughs> the lack of public appetite? And meanwhile, he's like, these terms are just chilling, disruptive measures. So this is part of C-51 where CSIS not only is like spying on suspects, but they can actually like, without charging them with anything, Mm -hmm. disrupt them in some unknown way or preventative detention, imprison them preventatively. And Iverson says, yeah, but now we're okay with that. The public quiescence on the former Bill C-51 is remarkable, but the emerging threat of homegrown terror, that's an emerging threat. And the change of government has quelled the public outcry about a law that was deemed dangerous by a hundred Canadian law professors in an open letter to MPs. I don't know what he's talking about here. Have those 100 Canadian law professors withdrawn their open letter to MPs? How has it quelled their outcry? Like, where is he getting this from?
0: I mean, I think this speaks more generally to the fact that columnists just need to do a better job of their research. We see this constantly. This is just another example of many columnists who just don't do the research and don't provide the evidence under the guise of an opinion, I guess.
1: I suppose so, though it's it's really curious that he's not taking a stance. It's not like what you would get from a Margaret Wente type column where he, we, we, he Certainly. Might, you know, he's not saying, I'm suggesting and my opinion is that we need to forget about the civil liberty stuff because we got to get serious. He is like reporting on what the public... Again and again, here's what the public says. Here's what the public thinks. Here's the public's appetite. And the only reason he gives is, uh, is this one. The reason is simple. He writes, when he appeared before parliamentary committees in the spring, CSIS director Michael Colomb said that C-51's powers are being used and have been successful in disrupting terror attacks. Quote, for every terror attack that takes place in Canada and abroad, many more are disrupted. Like following the logic there, the reason why all these academics who hated C51 and why Canadians who rallied against C51, the reason why we don't care anymore, says Iveson, is because I guess we all saw this parliamentary committee where the head of CSIS itself assured us without any specifics, that they stopped a bunch of terrorist attacks. What were these attempted attacks? We're not saying, how did you disrupt them? We're not saying. but now Canadians know that security works because these terrorist attacks were disrupted, and now we don't we're not so worried about C51 we have a lot of columnists in this country who just sort of like fly off the handle and like, where are they getting it from? This seems like a step beyond that because it's under the guise of just like this objective relaying of facts. I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep going. I have to, I, I'm basically reading the whole column here. Okay, CIRC is like the watchdog of, of CSIS. If the CIRC report suggests that CSIS has been abusing its new powers, or if CSEC, you know, CSEC's like RNSA, they spy on our computer communications, or if the CSE commissioner, that's the oversight for CSE, if they claim that these organizations have not been complying with Canadian law in the collection of metadata, then, says Iveson, then the public's concerns about rights might trump their fears about security. Does he not know that CSEC's commissioner did say that CSEC is breaking the law? Like, Like the Globe and Mail just reported on that. CSE's watchdog, the CSE commissioner, determined that the spy agency broke the law by inadvertently providing allies with the logged phone and internet activities of Canadian citizens. And CSIS is being wrapped uh, on the knuckles by judges for like willfully lying and getting warrants. That's right. This is a column from a fantasy land where these things haven't happened. Here's the conclusion. But for now, public sentiment appears to be governed by a sense that all that protects them from a disaffected Omar Mateen-like figure is a vigilant security service standing on guard for them.
0: Oh, God.
1: I've been calling bullshit on this column, but I think I need to talk a bit of shit about John Iveson because like Paul Wells was on the show and we talked about him and Paul Wells was kind of offering a bit of a backhanded compliment about, you know, that access journalism has its place, right? And Iveson is an access journalist. Lots of people in government, in the public service and in law enforcement have his ear and they give him information and sometimes he gets scoops. And sometimes he just writes stuff that you kind of wonder who's feeding it to him and why. I am going to go ahead and suggest that, like, if you are curious about how the public will respond to a certain idea, if you are from law enforcement, if you're from government and you're curious, like, after this Orlando shooting, is the public ready for, like, more kind of conservative type, like, tough on terrorism talk? Well, wouldn't it be great if a journalist kind of floated that idea first and we see how the public responds, you know? <laughs> I don't know that that's what happened here. I've asked Iveson online, like, what he bases this stuff on. Where is he getting this? And if that's what's going on, if, like, a trial weather balloon is being floated to see if the public is outraged by these opinions, I think it's important for us to say, like, fuck Yeah. We're not buying that for a second.
0: Has he responded to your uh, questions yet?
1: Not as of yet, though it was very recently that I asked. And uh, we will will, uh, put a little addendum on this podcast if he does get back to me. But I I find this a shocking column. I I find it an absolutely irresponsible and shocking column. All right. I think having discussed maybe the saddest, most depressing and god-awful piece of news in a year filled with god-awful, depressing, horrible pieces of news – We need to move to the ridiculous. You're up for an NMA. That's not ridiculous.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Jesse, I think. (laughs) (laughs) The
1: nomination was well-deserved. Thank you. I've been to the NMAs a number of times. The award ceremony itself, it can take a while.
0: Yeah, good thing there was a lot of
1: booze on hand. Was it your first time there?
0: It was my first time, and the booze kept flowing, and that was very much needed.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, I think like it was. A, it used to be a joke that there are more awards than there are magazines. I think it's actually now true. I think mean, there actually are more awards handed up than, than there are functional Canadian magazines being published. Probably. There is a brewing controversy at the NMAs.
0: Yeah. So was it earlier in the year or in 2015? Uh, there was an open letter sent from. Basically, all the big players in Canadian magazine. Um, we had The Walrus, uh, St. Joe's, for whom I work, Rogers Publishing, TVA, and did I miss any? Uh,
1: Reader's Digest. Reader's
0: Digest, that's right. They're basically pulling out of the animes. They attended the 2016 awards, um, but after that, they decided they were pulling out. Um, they're not happy with how it's run, and they're starting their own awards. Um yeah. I mean, good for them, I guess.
1: Um, We need more awards in Canadian (sighs) media. We need. We do. Those big fish in the tiny world uh, of Canadian magazines say that there needs to be far fewer and more meaningful awards. Well, I can argue with that. And they should be more closely aligned to celebrating excellence at the very highest level, which I'm guessing means more awards for themselves.
0: Yeah, which I don't quite understand. The NMAs have been so great for young people and so great for small press. Myself, I'm 22, and this was a huge, huge opportunity for me. And I, I mean, the opportunity to attend was awesome. We see magazines like Mizanov win Best Magazine three times in a row, and they exist on a shoestring budget. Uh-huh. And that's their opportunity to shine. Um, we see magazines like 18 Bridges that I would say a majority of people in attendance were like, what the fuck is 18 Bridges? But they were nominated so many times and they won so many times. And the writers from Out West were able to really get some recognition. I just don't quite understand why the big players would want to pull out and not give smaller people the opportunity and and not be exposed to their great work. Doesn't make sense to
1: me. I guess there's a couple of rifts here. You know, there's the obvious one that they're pointing to, which is like, ah, there's too many awards, all these fringe magazines get them, and we need to really make this about the major leagues. This has got to be about the big national glossy magazines. And then, you know, cynics would say, well, I guess that means, and I count myself among the cynics, that means more awards for the Walrus. Not that the Walrus and life are starved for NMAs. They get tons of them. But there's another rift that gets pointed out, which is that the NMAs, if you win one, the individual creator gets money. That's Right. And it is focused around a lot of recognition of individual creators, photographers, writers, journalists, and not so much the brand, the magazine itself.
0: Rightfully so, I think.
1: Yeah. And and Kim Pittaway, former editor-in-chief of Chatelaine, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think so. She won a big award this year and she gave an impassioned speech that was basically about this. It was about how we need to stand together as an industry and we and and we need to honor the creators because this is about the creators. And what she said, I mean, I agree with what she said, but what she said was given that the pay rates in magazines have stayed the same for like the last 20 years, this is the least we can do. Now that is true because it's hard to imagine doing less. And yet, is there a suggestion in there that like, this is actually like a way that we can make up for the fact that we haven't given a raise to magazine writers in 20 years. Like, maybe you'll win a $1,000 prize at the NMAs.
0: I mean, I really hope not. The most you can make at most magazines these days is just over a dollar a word. And that is seriously not enough. Um, It might
1: be 25 or 30 years that that's been...
0: Yeah, and that's crazy to me. Longer than you've been alive. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Like,
1: the industry is actually moving to a come work for us, maybe you'll win an award and the award people will pay you, model.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, pretty sad. (laughs) Like
1: we, we need that as a form of compensation. You know, a pox on all of their houses, I guess. I mean, not really. I'm sorry, like it's good to recognize people for their work, even in a long, boring award ceremony. There's lots of great talented people out there, blah, 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 blah. The jury system by which these awards get handed out is like... There's a lot of people whispered in my ear, like, you got to look into the NMAs and how these things and who's actually deciding on whether their friend gets an award or not. And like, we have not done the exhaustive definitive investigation into the NMAs yet. But there is a lot of cross-pollination in the juries.
0: I think the issue is that the magazine industry is just so incestuous. Everybody knows everybody knows everybody is sleeping with everybody else. It's so small. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how how they could fix it. They select jury members who are part of the industry, who understand how the industry works. But the problem is that everybody knows everybody. And yeah, I don't know how you avoid the bias.
1: I think the real value of this is getting together with people in the industry and drinking a lot. We could just leave it there, you know? Yeah. There could be the annual magazine industry drunkening.
0: At the same time, though, it is great to be recognized for what you're doing. It offers great opportunities for aspiring writers. I can't say I'm a fan of the big fish leaving the enemies.
1: Now I feel guilty, like I'm just a very sour old man. Oh,
0: you're just such an asshole, Jesse. Desmond new. wants the <laughs> awards.
1: Congratulations. I wish all good things. He deserves them. You, you know, you're up there nominated. You deserve that. I'm not trying to harsh anyone's buzz, though. I, I guess I just dedicated some time to doing just that. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Uh. That was your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can reach me anytime at jesse at I read everything you send and I respond when I can. And we are on Twitter at Canada Land. Erica, where can people find you?
0: At Erica Lenti on Twitter.
1: Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash Canada Land. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. And the next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. Radio syndication is handled by Russell Gregg to community and campus stations across this country for free. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood.